0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. On this edition of the show, we are going to be taking your questions from the members' mailbag. This show is going to be solely based around questions that we've received in this week's mail uh, member mailbag, before I get my words mixed up. Uh, so really looking forward to it because there's some really interesting Some really out there questions, some really wacky questions, some really good questions, some really nostalgic questions, too. There's lots and lots to dig into, and I'm really, really looking forward to this episode. Uh, Just want to say a few hellos to some of you in the chat. I want to say a big hello to everybody who'll be listening to this back via the audio platforms as well. And start out by apologizing for the lack of a podcast yesterday. Uh, As many of you may have seen on my social media, I was. Uh, running against the clock yesterday, uh, trying to get all my work done. I was up at TalkSport 2 Um, had a great show with Shaban on on TalkSport 2, which was fantastic. And then The Chronicles of Aguna was live on BBC Radio London, which you can catch up with on BBC Sounds. But of course, uh, there wasn't much gap in between those two shows. And so I was running around like a blue-arsed fly in order to make sure that I could do both on the same day. By the time I got home, it was gone 10 o'clock and I just wasn't up for doing a podcast. I thought I'd i'd earned myself a well-deserved break by that point so i decided to take it but we're back and we're here and we're live on youtube of course for those of you who watch via the video platform we will be uh, going through those questions that you guys have been sending in now and i'm really looking forward to it if you want to have your questions featured on next week's members mailbag all you need to do is sign up to the channel and become a member via the link in the description you'll then get access to our discord server where you can drop your questions in our members mailbag specific channel. And uh, so, yeah, check it out. Okay, without further ado, let's get into the questions because there's so many good ones. I want to work my way through as many of them as I possibly can uh, during this show. Let's start with this one uh, from Moss, who says, Harry, do you think Mikel Arteta was maybe satisfied with the guys he sorry, let me start that again. Harry, do you think Mikel Arteta was just maybe satisfied with the guys he knows and was always planning to get rid of a bunch of contracts during this window? Maybe go for one striker they all agreed upon, but not so worried uh, about a striker as just going to buy two nice ones in the summer. Uh, He talks about Jonathan David in that question as well, because of course, Moss is our resident Canadian and is a big, big fan of Jonathan David. So, Um, do I think that Mikel Arteta is satisfied with the guys he knows? And do I think that it was always part of the plan to move some players on? I don't really think it was necessarily by design that we ended up sort of stripping the squad right back the way we did. I think there was always plans to move those guys on in the not too distant future. But I think what happened in a lot of instances and in a lot of these cases is that opportunities presented themselves to get rid of these guys. Opportunities presented themselves that haven't been presenting themselves in recent seasons and it's why we've been stuck with a lot of these guys. It's why we've been unable to move them on. It's why we've been uh, kind of talking about Arsenal failing to move out dead wood. Ultimately, you can't sell something that nobody wants and ultimately, you know, when they're earning really, really good money at Arsenal Football Club, it's always going to be difficult to palm them off into other directions. So I guess in answer to your question, do I think it was part of the plan? Not really. I don't think that In an ideal world, we'd have allowed Callum Chambers to leave now. I don't think in an ideal world, we'd have allowed Ainsley Maitland-Niles to leave now. But I think what's happened is those opportunities have come along. In Maitland-Niles' case, the situation was as it was from a while back. We know that Maitland-Niles was trying to get out of the club previously. He was asked if he could stay. He agreed to stay on the basis that he was hoping things would get better uh, between sort of the start and the middle of the season, it didn't really happen. And then he wanted that move to go through, that move that would take him, of course, to Roma on loan. So I think in a lot of instances, this wasn't by design. I think this was something that Arsenal kind of, I don't want to say fell into the trap of, because I think ultimately a lot of those players needed to go. But I don't think it was planned to leave us this thin and planned to leave us this short. I think those guys were always headed for an exit. I just think that it was a little bit ahead of schedule and given that very little opportunities have come for Arsenal to be able to move those players on and in the case of Callum Chambers get something in for them, I think they felt that they really, really had to just just do it and to just move those guys on and it was a calculated risk. If you ask me, I think there there is a risk to it. I think you leave us thin. Of course, there's a risk, but it's a calculated risk that the club have decided was worth taking at that point. So um, yeah, don't think it was by design. And I agree with you in the sense of, I think they had a clear striking target um, in Dusan Vlavic. It didn't materialise. And so rather than diving straight back into the market out of almost desperation. They decided that they'd wait, they'd hold on till the summer and hopefully get someone in who they really do believe fits the bill. Uh, Love to see Jonathan David at the club. I've been really impressed by what I've seen of him of late and I've made a conscious effort because of Moss, who asks this question, uh, to keep my eyes uh, on Jonathan David and everything he's doing at the moment because admittedly he's not a player I knew a great deal about previously. So yeah, from what I've seen, looks an exciting talent, looks an exciting prospect and hopefully uh, he's somebody that we could attract to the club in the future. Okay, I just uh, knocked uh, one of my pictures behind me (laughs) while I was uh, getting into position, and um, yeah, it's irritating me that it's not straight, but I can't fix it now during the live show, so apologies if you're fussy like me and that kind of stuff irritates you. But anyway, uh, Jay Dubia says, "Um, can you put a link to the Discord, please? I will do. Um, You know what? I will drop it uh, right now. Uh, You know what? I'll do it after the show, mate, because i don't know how to do it off the top of my head and i'll probably mess it up in the middle of the show so i will do that as soon as the show's over and uh make sure you come over and join if you are a member and you're not part of the discord server it's part of the package so you might as well uh take it up there's some great chat great discussion going on in there all day every day and some wonderful people so um yeah it's um it- it's worthwhile Damien uh, damian kelly says so you're forcing everybody to be a member in order to get their questions answered on the show. Good stick up, Harry. No, I'm not, Damien. I answer everybody's questions on every single show. But as members, I think they're entitled to have a show which is based solely and entirely around their questions. Um, It's my way of saying thank you for the support. I'm not saying that I'm never going to answer any questions that are from non-members. I'm just not doing it on this show because this is a member's show. And this is a show that is built around... Uh, the questions that the members put to me. So no, I'm not going to stop answering questions from anybody else. I've always taken questions from anybody, non-member, member, whatever. Um, so this is not an attempt to stitch you up, uh, as as you say. Uh, okay, let's move on uh, to another question. Let's take this one uh, from Wesbird, uh, one of our regulars in the chat. Uh, and one of our uh, more prominent members, who's always in the Discord, always spreading love. uh, So make sure you do uh, check Wes Bird out. Uh, She says, Harry, do you think Thomas' Thomas work event, and in brackets Partey, has been disappointing? And do you think we'll see the best version of him in the second part of the season and going forward? I think it's impossible to deny that Thomas Partey's been underwhelming since he's joined Arsenal Football Club. The hopes that we all had for him when he signed were were incredible. And maybe that was kind of overinflated because of the fact that for years and years and years, we never had that strong midfield enforcer. And so when he came, it was very easy to get kind of sucked into the hype and feel like all our problems were going to be solved. The reality is that Thomas Partey, in particular, Uh, has struggled with fitness issues. That's been a big, big problem with Thomas Partey. And it's been a problem for me that I'm really struggling to get past. I'm really struggling to, to, you know, you look at him and and you see brilliant moments and you see him play wonderful progressive passes and you see him at times dominate. But there's so many times on the flip side of that where he just doesn't look up to speed. He just doesn't look fit. And that's a big worry and that's a big concern for me because that is a basic You know, that's what you expect of your players. And in a lot of instances, the injuries that they pick up and the problems that they get are due largely to rotten luck. You know, sometimes you can pick up a muscle strain, even if you've done the best prep possible. Sometimes you can be on the receiving end of a bad challenge, which is no fault of your own, and end up being sidelined and taking some time to get back into shape. At other times, the squad can be really stretched, which means that you don't... um, you know, you don't get the rest you need. You end up being overplayed, burnt out in a lot of cases, and that can impact you for a period of time as well. So, I'm not saying that it's, it's an excuse for Thomas Partey because I always say, and and people give me quite a bit of stick for this, but I always say part of being an elite professional footballer is taking good care of yourself, managing yourself, and and I think that Thomas Partey maybe we can question whether he looks after himself enough. Um, to kind of minimise these problems because they do keep occurring and they do seem to be an ongoing problem. So I'm not going to let Thomas Partey get away with it completely scot free. I'm not going to let him shirk all responsibility for his physical condition because I do think that he, um, I, I do think that he, he has a part to play there. But I think that there are there is an element of bad luck in in why Thomas Partey hasn't flourished. But in response to your initial comment you have to say uh, 100% that he's been slightly underwhelming since joining Arsenal Football Club. And hopefully the best is yet to come. Hopefully the best is to come in the remainder of this season, because by God, we're going to need him uh, and we're going to need him at the top of his game if uh, Arsenal are going to make that charge for the top four. But yeah, um, I I think for me, he has been underwhelming overall and it's a fair and and valid point to raise. Let's take another one. Let's uh, move through. Uh, Billy Anderson says, uh, I've just been watching. This was a few days ago when he dropped it in the the members mailbag group. He said, just been watching videos of Aubameyang and he sure did carry us. Got to respect him. We, We always knew long term attitude problems, though, could occur. My question, Harry, is would you say Aubameyang or Alexis Sanchez? go down as more of a club legend slash hero, maybe in recency bias. uh, Maybe it's due to recency bias, but in my opinion, it's Aubameyang. That's really interesting. Uh, Really, really interesting because I'm going to slightly lean the other way. I think that Aubameyang was was brilliant for the most part of his Arsenal career. I, I really do. I think that when you look at his goal record, and I'll just bring it up, Um, just to kind of add some context around this and just to kind of back up my point a little bit further. When you look at his goal record in Arsenal colours, it was nothing short of brilliant. It really, really was. I mean, you're talking about a guy who scored 92 goals in 163 Arsenal appearances and in and among that were 21 assists as well. So you're talking about what 113 direct goal contributions, in 163 matches for the Arsenal. That is superb. It really, really is. But I think the difference between Aubameyang and Alexis Sanchez, and this will come a lot down to preference as well, okay, so feel free to disagree with me in the chat, but a lot of of what Aubameyang did was reliant upon him getting the service. And sometimes in recent seasons, that service hasn't been enough. And, and I think that is a contributing factor to why Aubameyang's Arsenal form declined so dramatically. I, I, I really do. I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. But in Alexis Sanchez's case, I always felt that he could pick up the ball and do it himself. I always felt that Alexis Sanchez, when he got the ball in and around the penalty area, um, or, or even in a wide left position, had the ability to get me off my seat quicker because that anticipation sort of comes running through your veins when he gets the ball because, you knew at that point that he could not only finish brilliantly, but he could beat a man. He could get to the byline. He could cut it back for somebody else. And he had this tenacity and drive that I don't think Aubameyang has. Now, they're they're different players stylistically, and And that has to be taken into consideration. But I just think Alexis Sanchez at his best in Arsenal colours, was better than Aubameyang at his best. That's my personal opinion. Now, I know a lot of people would disagree, and that's absolutely fine. But I just think Alexis had that ability to make something out of nothing, whereas Aubameyang has done that from time to time. He's picked the ball up in what appeared to be pretty dead positions, managed to cut inside and find the top corner, and we've all been in awe. But I just think Alexis did it more often, did it more frequently. And as a result, I think he, for me, um, it is right up there. Obviously, there's similarities in the sense that both uh, seem to show attitude problems towards the end of their Arsenal careers. It's unfortunate for Alexis Sanchez that his career is curtailed in the way it has since leaving the club. Um, But with uh, with Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, there's no guarantee that's not going to happen with him either. You know, he's gone to Barcelona, came on as a substitute at the weekend, not. Uh, the ideal time to judge him, obviously. But I just think that for me, Alexis was more of an all-round player and was the one that I thought was, you know, I I thought Aubameyang was a world-class striker at one point. But I think Alexis Sanchez was a a world-class striker, world-class winger, world-class attacker all rolled into one. So for me, it's Alexis, um, but it's it's close and it's a really, really good question. It's certainly one uh, that got me thinking. Uh, th- I love this one because I love these, um, these silly questions as well, um, because that's what it's all about. And you'll see from the title that we've got some really silly ones in here. But listen, as I said, if you remember, you can throw whatever you want at me and I will do my best uh, to answer it. Let's take this one from Mr. Joe Kerr who says, silly, but interesting question. So it's silly by his own admission, which I like. Uh, Who, if anyone, does Josh Kroenke have on the back of his jersey? Now, obviously, this is a bit hypothetical because I haven't been in Josh Kroenke's wardrobe. I don't know what he's got. Um, But, well, I'd imagine it would have been Bamiyang, you know, his club poster boy, his club captain. I'd imagine that that's who Josh would have got on the back of his jersey. But I wonder uh, if that's still the case now with all that's gone on with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So, I would have said Aubameyang previously, Um, but yeah, uh, going forward, it's going to be the Sackers, it's going to be the smith Rose, it's going to be the players uh, that stand to represent this club for a long time and hopefully are going to take this club back to where it belongs. And that's at the top of English football. (laughs) Nice question, that one. Uh, Creambone66 says, a question. Harry, how much, in your opinion, do you think we'll have to spend in the summer? And who do you think... um, or want us to buy. How much do I think we need to spend? It's a really hard question to answer because you don't really know what the price tags are of the players that we're going to move for. But I think we need to spend in a different way to the way we spent last summer. What I mean by that is if you look at last summer, and I, I remember kind of vaguely doing the maths at that point, but there was a lot made of how much Arsenal had spent. And there was a lot made of the fact that you know he'd been backed and, and, he, and he'd got a lot of money and that and the, the Cronkies were appearing to put their hands in their pockets. I would say that although he was backed with a, a huge monetary amount, it was actually a bit more of a modest uh, window than people maybe realize. And and what I mean by that is, yeah, you spent £50 million on Ben White, and you spent £20 million or £25 million on Aaron Ramsdale. And lots of us at the time were going, whoa, 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 calm it down. This is crazy money for players that we weren't 100% sure about. But I think over the course of the window, Arsenal balanced it out quite well. And if you worked it out at the time, and I I might be slightly off on this because I'm just remembering from memory, but I think it was about, on average, Arsenal had spent £25 million per player. If you took the total amount spent and divided it between the the, uh, sorry, among the number of players that we signed, I think it worked out to be about £25 million per player, which this day and age isn't huge. It isn't massive. And so, in the money that you maybe overpaid for Ben White, you also ended up getting a Martin Odegaard, for example, for what many would have said was below his market value. You ended up getting a Nuno Tavares for less than you'd expect to pay for a player of his age profile and of his talent. So I think what Arsenal did really well was, although they spent a lot of money, I think they got the maximum out of it. Bringing in six, seven players, you're getting the maximum out of that investment, right? And fortunately, I would say that every single one of those signings to date has... Not been a, a complete success, I think that Lokonga still has a long way to go before we're talking about him as being a masterstroke. I think Tavares still has a long way to go. But I think in terms of Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, Ben White, uh, Odegaard, I think those four signings have been brilliant. And I think that that is something that Arsenal need credit for. You know, you're you're talking about a window of what six incomings and four of them have been brilliant and two of them have, have been good at times and are clearly prospects for the future. So I think that the business overall was was very, very good. So going circling back to Creambone's question on how much do we need to spend in the summer? I don't think it's easy to put a specific figure on that, because I think that for me, you it's not about how much you spend. It's about spending it wisely. It's about spending it in the right way. And it's about being shrewd in the transfer market, something that Arsenal haven't done for years and appear to be doing now, which is why I feel quite optimistic about the direction we're going in. So it, it, I think we need to bring in a, a top, top striker. I think everybody knows that. And I think in terms of outside of that, we probably need another striker too, because you're talking about Enketia leaving, you're talking about Lacazette leaving, Aubameyang's already gone, Uh following Balogun is there, but is he ready just yet? Not sure. So I think we're probably going to need to have a similar window in terms of the the money that we actually spend. Only this time, I'd like to see it concentrated on three players of a real high quality, as opposed to us going for the kind of complete overhaul model that we did in the summer, where it was like, well, we're going to move out as many as we can, and therefore we're going to bring in, we, or we need to bring in five or six to account for that. So I think around about the same money around about the £150 million mark. But I think rather than spending it on, as I say, five, six players, I think it needs to be concentrated. The scouting needs to be good. The research needs to be thorough. And we need to use that money to bring in three top class players who are going to enhance the team. And a lot of people are worried about depth at the moment, and that's a valid concern. And obviously, if we do get into Europe, that becomes more of a need and more of a uh, of of greater importance, sorry. So I get that. I, I really do. But I think you, you can't really build depth until you build a team. And for years, this, this club has had an overloaded squad of overplayed players who are overpaid, I should say, not overplayed, overpaid players who were taking big, big funds out of the club and who were sitting around all day doing pretty much nothing. And I think that's what you've got here. And I don't mean that literally. I don't mean that they were turning up to training and sitting down and having a coffee until it was time to go home. But I mean, they weren't contributing to the team on match days as much as they could have been or should have been. So I think for me, um, you know, it's it's um, it, it's about focusing that money on on good players and important players and players that will be key. And I think what they did last summer causes us to kind of um, to to feel that we can be a little bit more trusting than maybe we have been in years gone by. But it's about adding quality now, not quantity. And the the squad size, you grow that as you go. right? You add depth once you've got the team that you want. You don't add depth to a team that isn't complete. For example, you don't have a striker. We need another right back, but you don't go and buy another right back before you buy a striker because we don't have a striker really. Uh, come the end of the season. So I think that's really, really important. Great question, though, um, as well. Uh, Thank you so much, mate. Uh, Let's take this one uh, from Noah Daniels, who says, uh, Frank Kessie is a free agent in June, 25 years old and a really promising player. If not, I'd say Tielemans or Basuma. So I guess you're asking me, Noah, if I'd be interested in Frank Kessie. Yeah, I would. Um, Big Serie A fan, as you know, his contract situation at Milan is is very is very interesting. There's been a lot of talk about that. And I'd love for Arsenal to potentially snap him up. I think he's got a lot of the attributes that would um, would see him be a success in the Premier League. He's got experience of playing at a big club where there's incredibly high expectation, experience of playing in Europe, etc., etc. So, yeah, um, he, he's someone I'd look at. And again, you know, we 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 go back to how much money should we be spending? How much money do Arsenal need to spend? But the real thing is that if you can find value, for less, i.e. if you can get Frank Kessie in, then you do it, don't you? The issue with, I guess, somebody like Frank Kessie um, is that in order to attract him when there'll be a number of clubs circling, you'll probably need to pay slightly over the odds in terms of wages, in terms of his, what you're giving him in his contract. And that's because you have to fend off the interest of others. And the players often make you uh, sort of pay for the fact that... Um, you know, that they are they are, you know, they they're unattached and that people are going to be circling. And, and so you often have to pay a little bit over the odds for that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. It's a bit like the Willian transfer. Obviously, that wasn't a success, right? And we can go on about that all day. But what I mean is that because it was free, in order to get yourself at the front of the queue, in order to make that deal happen, um, you need to In order to make that deal happen, you need to go above and beyond what you would normally pay in terms of salary, possibly signing on fees, possibly a sweetener to the agent as well to kind of help guide their client into your direction. So there's a lot of hidden costs to that. Um, And then you have to weigh up whether that's worthwhile as well. It's not as simple as saying, Frank Kessier on a free, let's get him. But equally, you shouldn't turn your nose up at free transfers because they can quite easily be successes as well. So uh, really interesting, interesting player and someone I'd be quite happy to see come to the club. PM1Guna says, what do you think of uh, of Jed Spence? Um, Tom Canton is worried about signing him because evidence is he only performs in big games. But the way I look at it, some players play better at a higher level because they feel tested. Maybe playing at Arsenal would be the platform he would need to perform consistently at that level. What do you think? Well, obviously... Um, Jed Spence really kind of caught the imagination of people once again this weekend when he scored against Leicester City in the FA Cup. And I have to say what I've seen of him in the FA Cup has been really impressive. He looks physical. He looks strong. He looks technically sound. He looks like he's got all the attributes to be a modern-day uh, full-back and a, and a great success in that position. I sounded like out there. Great success. But my my worry and my issue with Jed Spence is that the sample size in which I've seen him play is, is incredibly small. And I'm almost jumping to a conclusion without having done any further due diligence. Have I looked into him further? Have I looked at his stats? Have I looked at uh, other performances? No. And, and what I was told a, a few weeks back, just after Arsenal had been knocked out uh, by Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup, was actually by a Middlesbrough fan that Jed Spence is in all that and that he hasn't been very good, and that's the reason that he's been loaned out to Nottingham Forest. So I'm kind of like, I don't really know. I think sometimes you can be the wrong fit for a club and a manager, and that prevents you really fulfilling your potential. And you could argue that in Nottingham Forest, the environment is better for him, and it's an environment in which he can flourish. But I'm always so reluctant to make or, or come up with conclusions on players, having not done the research and having not seen enough. And and you know, you can do all the research in the world. You can read all the stats in the world. You can look at all the heat maps you want. And often I use those things to kind of enhance what is already my view based on the eye test. I still think the eye test is the most powerful thing in an age of stats and facts and heat maps and diagrams and all of that. It's all great. But I think that you need to make up your mind with the eye test and you use those things to confirm or put to bed any thoughts that you have, as opposed to them being the basis of your thoughts. So that's where I am on Jed Spence. Not not seen enough. And, you know, he's someone that if I were Arsenal, I'd be keeping an eye on now. I think he's someone that's been brought to our attention and somebody that we saw firsthand how good he can be. But I just would, would hold on a little bit um, on that one, if it were me, or would be making provisions to make that move in the summer while keeping a close eye on him between now and the end of the campaign. Okay, let's go back to the Discord server for some more of your members' questions. If you're just joining us, if you're joining us a little bit late, this is the members' mailbag podcast. We'll be doing it once a week. We'll be taking questions from the Chronicles of Aguna channel members. Uh, They'll be dropping those in the Discord server ahead of the shows, and I'll be working my way through as many as I can within the allotted time. If you want to get your questions featured on the members' podcast, uh, you can do so by joining up as a member via the link in the description and coming in the discord server uh, where you can uh drop your questions and thoughts for me to pick up now somebody raised earlier on in the podcast that this was a ploy from me uh to make everybody sign up as a member it absolutely is not i will still take questions from non-members but as i mentioned a little bit earlier on if you're joining us late i feel like for me um it's important that we do a show based around the members questions so that we're giving something back to the members as a thank you for their real support Um, and we'll also be bringing member streams we'll be getting you guys on as well uh, from time to time okay uh if you are listening via the audio going to take a short pause for a message from our sponsor okay let's uh continue through some of your questions here (laughs) joe says uh, would you rather uh, is a russia sandwich and forgive me because that's not the term we use here is a rasher sandwich a bacon sandwich? Is that what you're talking about? A bacon rasher? Because if so, the question is, would you rather a bacon sandwich or a fish finger sandwich? Ooh, and you know what? I want to know from you guys in the chat. Bacon sandwich or fish finger sandwich? Let me know. Get your comments in. Bacon or fish finger? Look, for me, this one's easy. Um, And to be honest, for years and years and years and years, I'd... um. I'd my nose up at fish finger sandwiches. I was like, I ain't eating one of those. Who wants a fish finger sandwich? But in recent years, I've had a couple. I've had a couple, you know, those days where you're flat out at work, you're really struggling, you're really busy, you're really tired, you want something to eat. Nobody else is in the house. Um, and, and you want to make something quick to eat. You don't really have the time or the patience to go for the long haul and make something you know, that takes some time. You also don't really think it's worth ordering a takeaway for your lonesome um, just because it, it takes ages and et cetera, et cetera. And you got to meet the delivery fee, which or, or the delivery minimum, which for one person, depending on where you go, can be a problem. So you chuck some fish fingers in. and um, And I have had a couple of fish finger sandwiches, but as good as they can be, you know, with lots of ketchup, lots of mayonnaise, they don't beat bacon sandwiches. Not for me. Not for me anyway. So I'm going with a bacon sandwich all day. Uh, Let's take some of your responses to that. Min says, uh, bacon all day, mate. RM uh, with a fillet of fish. You know, I've never had a fillet of fish from McDonald's. I've tried the new chicken Big Mac, though. Not a fan. Don't really think it works. Um, Sam Tonk says that Russia is defo bacon. It's no contest like Arsenal or Spurs. Uh, He also goes on to say that he prefers bacon, barbecue sauce and white bread uh mickey cartel says um me haddock fish fingers and sandwich interesting bx gunner is a chicken nuggets man <laughs> uh fujian is a bacon sandwich guy all day long and sam says bacon too there you go there's a bit of a different uh sort of chat uh j doobie has gone with bacon as well but he says fish fingers are close though um interesting Interesting. Uh, Jally uh, says, uh, please talk football. We will. I promise we're going back to the football. Just a bit of fun. Chill. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Steve Stone says, what is your favourite away ground and why? Mine is very left field. I love Loftus Road as it's very close to the pitch and it really holds the atmosphere. That's an interesting question because... When I think about all the away grounds I've been to, like obviously the big ones are the ones that kind of always stay in your memory and always kind of, um, stay in your thoughts in terms of atmosphere though. And in terms of personal favorites for me, uh, the old Upton park was pretty cool. Um, West Ham's old ground prior to the, the move to the London stadium, uh, had that, you know, close up feel that you're talking about with QPR. Um, was really close to the pitch, normally a decent atmosphere. Um, so that was a good one. I actually quite like Bramall Lane, Sheffield United. I've been up there. Um, and and I was towards the front of the stand behind the goal, obviously where the away fans are. And you can almost like reach out and touch the back of the goal net. like That's how close you are. So that's up there for me. Um, Leeds is up there. Uh, what else? Just trying to think of, uh, of ones I've enjoyed. Ones I haven't enjoyed, I didn't enjoy Cardiff's old stadium, Ninian Park, horrible place. Um, I, I quite liked Brentford's old ground, Griffin Park. I, I enjoyed that, but I was in the press box that day, and the space between your seat and the desk is so minimal that my knees were kidding me. Like, uh, it was one of those days where I genuinely wished I was a bit shorter, uh, because that was really, um, really really uh uncomfortable but nice ground nonetheless N- nice is not the right term but they're grounds that are, are throwback grounds and grounds that make you feel like the old days and, and there's that bit of nostalgia there isn't there you know the modern wonderful lush stadiums are brilliant but they're not quite the same um in terms of history and tradition i love this question from uh, Tariq, who says uh, harry and and bear with me on this pick a legend and snake combo that would make the biggest difference to this current team. And the two legend snake combos that he's picked are Vieira and Van Persie, or Omri and Fabregas. Wow. Um, this is a really good one. Look, I think that Omri obviously trumps Robin Van Persie, but I think that Patrick Vieira obviously trumps Cesc Fabregas because we've got Odegaard, because we've got Smith Rowe um, and, and because we need a clinical finisher I think I'm gonna to lean to the first combo. And that first combo is Vieira and Van Persie. I mean, just imagine Patrick Vieira in this side and imagine Robin Van Persie with Martinelli to one side, with Saka to the other, with Odegaard Smith rowing behind him. I'm slightly leaning that way just because I think the Vieira factor here really dominates this one. Um, you know, Thierry Henry, brilliant striker, but as a, an out-and-out out finisher, forget all the other stuff he did, like in and around the pitch, but forget all of that for a second and just look at him as a cold finisher in front of goal. Would you rather an opportunity fell on Van Persie's strong left foot or on Henry's right foot? I think Van Persie, particularly towards the back end of his Arsenal career, was much more... Again, it's not... To, like I don't want this to come across as I'm taking anything away from Thierry Henry, but I just think with what we have... um this is uh th- this is the way I'm going to go. So I'm going to go with the Viera Van Persie uh choice out of the um out of the two given to me from our Legend and Snake combos. <laughs> Love that from uh, T Talks. Uh, let's take this one from uh, Sam Tonks, who says uh, Harry, who are your three most underrated players since you've been following the Arsenal? For me, Reyes, Cleb, and Giroud are there, all pretty underappreciated until they left for how good they were for the club. I think there's some really good shouts in there. Jose Antonio Reyes, um, God rest his soul, was for me an incredible talent. I thought he was so brilliant. You know, I didn't really know much about him when we signed him. Remember, in those days, it wasn't like it is now. You didn't have access to what we have access to now. You didn't watch as much football. You you caught the odd La Liga game on on Sky Sports in the evening, Um, and, and that was about it. But When he came, I was so buzzing and so excited and and I really enjoyed the way he carried the ball, the dribbles, scored some cracking goals with that left foot of his. So Jose Reyes is in there for me. It was one of those where it didn't quite work out for him at Arsenal in the sense of there wasn't that longevity. There wasn't, um, you know, we didn't get the best out of Jose Antonio Reyes for long enough um, because of other factors, you know, other reasons. And we won't get into that too deeply now, but... I think for me he's one of those you know there's a few players that kind of come and go and you look at them and you're like this is this is what i want to see this is perfect for me this is the beauty of football but then it doesn't work out and and when they leave there's always that sense of regret that kind of lingers um and that sense of regret that you can never really shake and and i think that was the case for me with reyes so he goes in there for me I think Thomas Rosicky was hugely underrated as a footballer. I think when he was at his best, which unfortunately wasn't very often because of injuries, he was unreal. Really, um, you know, really uh, energetic, really direct, really good carrier of the ball, could chip in with goals as well. I really rated Thomas Rosicky. I just wanted to see more of him. And unfortunately, that wasn't able to happen for various reasons. But he was brilliant too. Uh, Another mention is for me Giroud as well. Uh, because I think that that Olivier Giroud has gone on to win things and has gone on to contribute significantly at other clubs in a way that Arsenal fans just probably never appreciated he could do, and and that used to frustrate me because although I know a lot of people point to that season where we missed out on the title to Leicester, and they look at that period that Olivier Giroud went, I think it was like twelve games or something where he didn't score a goal. And everybody, like, made a massive meal out of that. And and while it was disappointing, you know, it's no more than somebody like Alexander Lacazette's done in terms of goal droughts, in terms of not contributing goals, in terms of doing all the other bits, but not really providing the finishing touch. I think that Olivier Giroud's link-up play was fantastic. And the fact that he gave us a different option uh, in terms of his physicality, aerial presence, was a, a real asset to the side. Look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have let him go, because obviously that was a knock-on effect of getting Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in, who went on to be very successful for Arsenal. But I think he was underappreciated, undervalued. And there's a little tiny part of me, like, especially now that he's left Chelsea, it wasn't the case when he was at Chelsea. But there's a tiny little part of me, for example, that saw him score a couple of goals in the Milan derby um, at the weekend and went, you know what, I'm glad. You know, well done, Olivier, because for me, it kind of vindicates those people who have been who have always said that actually Olivier Giroud is a much better player than he's ever been given credit for. So, yeah, he's in there. Alexander Kleb, towards the end of his Arsenal career, was very, very good at the beginning. I wasn't sure. A little bit lightweight, a little bit fragile, but he got to a really high level and that led to him leaving for Barcelona. Uh, Just trying to think of uh, Nacho Monreal, I think, was incredibly consistent for a long, long time at Arsenal and deserves praise. Um yeah, there's, there's loads I could go on all day. Maybe we'll do a, a show specifically on this and really get deep into some of those players. You know what? I'm going to make a note of that. Um, that's, a, that's a good uh, bit of content to do the next time we don't have a game or something. Um, so, yeah, I'll make a note of that. Thank you for that. Great suggestion. What else have we got? in the discord server just a quick reminder by the way if you haven't done so already make sure you hit that like button because there's over a couple of hundred of you watching us there's just 57 likes on the board we're also around about 140 subscribers away from 19000 uh, let's get there asap and then we can focus um on trying to hit that 20k as well. Uh, So please do hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. And as I said already, if you want to become a member so that you can have your questions featured on our members mailbag podcast, then please do so by clicking on the link in the description. Okay, let's get back to the members mailbag. What else do we have here? Um, Aki asks, how much would I, how would I spend the reported £180 million transfer war chest that we're supposed to have this summer. And I think I kind of already answered that a little bit earlier on. So just to quickly kind of summarise, I'd spend it on three top players. I'd go and get players in the striker position. I'd go and get another right back in and I'd go and get another top-class central midfielder. I don't mean, uh, you know, someone that is just a a squad member. I mean, a top-class central midfielder. So I'd rather see that money spent in three areas uh, than spent in you know, six and and we're kind of compromising on the quality of player that we're then bringing in. Sometimes that can work really well, like we saw last summer, but sometimes it can go bad as well. So I just want to see us go on. I want to see us bet on certainties, if that makes sense, um, this summer. OK, let's take this one from Jid. Uh, Harry, Arsenal undoubtedly has uh, a, had a lot of scapegoats. Which three players do you think have been the worst and most unfairly treated by fans in recent years, you have plenty to choose from. Jid, you are right. I do have plenty uh, to choose from. I think Granite Jack is right up there. I think he's he's a accident waiting to happen a lot of the time, and I think that we could certainly upgrade on him. But I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as some would have you believe. So I think he's got to go in that category. I think Hector Bayram was another one, and I think Hector Bayram was a little bit of a victim of his early success as a player. What? what happens with footballers right is is sometimes they 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 go on this trajectory in terms of reaching their peak and it's a really slow uh, but steady trajectory where you can clearly see the progress and you go oh wow um you know it, it's great you know this guy is going to progress and by this point he should be at this level i think with hector bellerin what happened was that trajectory was really steep at the beginning of his arsenal career he almost shot up in terms of um his progress in a really short space of time but then he got to the point where it was never going to get any better now that's not to dig out hector bellerin because i don't think he's as bad as as some people say but it's for me um you know it was pretty clear maybe 2 3 seasons ago that hector bellerin wasn't going to go any further But that doesn't mean you should then turn on the player and pick on the player at every opportunity and start moaning about his fashion sense and all the things that he does outside of the football pitch, which, quite frankly, are none of our bloody business. I think that there's a part of us as football fans that needs to be not so willing to kind of stick the knife in on someone and actually look at the situation, detach ourselves from the situation a bit and try and work out exactly what the issue is. And I think for me, the issue with Bellerin was that he was never going to get any better. This is Hector Bellerin. It's what it says on the tin. He's going to bring you a certain level of performance. And that's that. If you expect him to continuously get better, even at the age of 27, where for him, it felt like his development, or is it 27? Um, Let me just check that before somebody pulls me up on it. 26. For somebody like Hector Bellerin, he was at the peak of his powers. and, And that was that but i think for people there's this kind of constant um there's this constant desire to see to see people deliver more and sometimes they're just not capable of it or sometimes they're just not going to do it sometimes you get too much too early and i think that was the case in bellerin i think the injury got as well that bad injury really didn't help i think that's set him back a little bit as well good to see him playing well though in spain for real betis and um and and i wish him all the best i really do he's up there so Xhaka's in there bellerin's in there for me um, Emmanuel Aboué, another one that you mentioned, and I agree with somebody who was never coming in to be the star man, was always a bit of a backup player, um, and, and obviously got stick great character, but not necessarily a great footballer. Um, I think that, that Giroud is up there as well, who, who you mentioned. And I, and I think is, is right. And I think Ozil goes into that category probably a lot as well. You know, there were times where the Arsenal team was just not performing. You know, we'd we'd go and score twice. um, And so you could say that the creativity was there and we'd go and concede three defensively. Yet Mesut Ozil would be the scapegoat in some people's eyes. So I think there's a lot of players that fall into that category. And it's, again, it's another good idea uh, for a separate show, uh, which I'm going to take note of. And again, when we do that, when we get around to that, we will, of course, dive into those cases individually on a much more deeper level. Okay. um, I think that's it. Uh, That's all of our questions. I've taken one from each of you from our members mailbag discord server. Remember, if you want to participate in next week's members mailbag show, all you need to do is become a member. Uh, Click on the link in the description below, sign up and get access to our discord server, which I'll be reposting on the community tab for members only uh, for those of you who need that link uh, in a few moments time. Uh, So please do check that out. Come over. And there is a separate channel for the members mailbag chat uh, questions so that they don't get lost in all the other conversations. So please drop those in whenever you want throughout the course of the week. And next week, we'll be back with another edition. Really looking forward to it. Thank you. Really enjoyed the first one. Hope you guys enjoyed it too. Let me know if you did in the uh, comment section. Uh, Hit the like button if you haven't done so already. We're still around about 30 likes away from hitting that 100 mark. So let's get there ASAP. We'll be back later on today at 5pm UK time with another live stream in which we'll be rounding up the latest Arsenal news and, of course, discussing it. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.